0: First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows.
1: A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to Luke. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: The story is told about Muhammad Ali, the great prize fighter, who was aboard an airplane and the stewardess came down the aisle and noticed and mentioned to Muhammad Ali that His seatbelt was unfastened. He responded saying, Superman don't need a seatbelt. is quickly replied, Superman don't need an airplane. Buckle up. I love that. What? a great uh, way to capture this spirit of the gospel. Yeah, it is fascinating to me that although I'm sure no one here would claim to be Superman or Superwoman, it, you would admit I'm sure at times it's like we try to be as we try to do all the things we have to do. In fact, uh, it was in today's front page Tempo section of the paper this young man with the Superman insignia on his chest they were talking about how teenagers today live such full and busy lives that even young people have to keep daytimers and Ben Franklin schedules now. And this young man they were portraying or reporting, trying to do so many things, holding down two part-time jobs, plus a full-time school schedule of 18 hours, plus all these other activities and volunteer groups, and he's a karate teacher on the side, and all these things. and. And no doubt, he's trying to be Superman. And I thought, well, someday he will have to learn his limits. And since I said that, I said to myself, someday I will have to learn my limits. Superman don't need a seatbelt. Well, we do have to have some things hold us down. and, And part of that is the aging process. Oh, yeah. And we tell ourselves, I should be able to do this, I want to do that, but reality is, and our bodies will remind us, amen, that we can't do it. We're not Wonder Woman or Super Mom. We just can't be everything to everybody all the time. So we're constantly learning the lessons of humility, the lessons of life. It's very, very difficult. And I must confess, I struggle with this all the time. But that might be a a nice way to segue into the gospel today. It talks about humility. Think of it in terms of just learning, knowing who we truly are. Superman don't need a seatbelt. All right. So Jesus, wanting to teach this important lesson on humility, naturally turns to the art of story. You know, Jesus is the master storyteller. And he knows there's something about story that only helps us to remember, helps us to understand. It invites us in a gentle way to see ourselves through the mirror of the characters that are involved here, that we could understand something about ourselves. And so Jesus addressed this parable. This is the key we need to understand. To those who believed in their self righteousness. you understand what self-righteousness means that we make ourselves right. We make ourselves right while holding everyone else in contempt. You, you see the contradiction there. We can't be right if we're not in right relationship with God and with each other. As soon as we become condemning of others, we're holding ourselves up in a condescending way and it's not righteous you know you we could be in the right but completely wrong we could be so right but it's not insisting that we we've got the right answer or saying the right things if we don't have the right attitude and that's the whole thing so with that as an, a key to our understanding the parable and our understanding ourselves We then approach this beautiful story. Now, imagine this in your own mind. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One might say parenthetically, one did and one didn't. (laughs) But two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Let's stop for a moment and focus in on who was a Pharisee. You might know there were different religious parties or groups in the time of Jesus, even like there might be different kind of religious groups today. You know, conservative and progressive and liberal or traditionalist or Marianist or charismatic. Or you can fill in. There's so many different groups. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisee was one such group. In fact, these people were the most religious and pious people in all of Israel. They had a wonderful reputation of being extremely dedicated and completely devoted to the scriptures, especially that is the Torah, the law of Moses, which is the law of the Lord. They made a careful study of the law, the Torah. And they tried to meticulously, that is, almost scrupulously, following every rule and regulation that they interpreted as God governing their lives. I mean, how could you get better than that? You have to admire people who are like totally zealous and totally dedicated. The linchpin that that, that had somehow swung them another way, though, was that the, the title Pharisee probably meant separated ones, and this is certainly how they distinguished themselves from others. They were seen so much better than the other people, and they thought so too, and they separated themselves from non-believers, who they considered were not righteous people, from less observant Jews, who they thought would be in bad company and from ordinary life itself, because there was a certain contamination about life. So they separated themselves. Now, you know, this isn't so much different from today. In fact, we, how many times do we see that certain groups don't relate to each other because they're just all in the wrong? The craziest thing, when I listen to people who are in my parish, who are, tend more to the liberal or left side, they have a lot of great things to say, but I often think what you need to hear is a little more of the conservative side to balance you out. And then I listen to the conservative people and I say, well, you've got a lot to say, but what you really need is some people to move you off your righteous side and more into progressing and growing beyond your conservatism. And I really believe uh, the, the feminists have a lot to say today about what our regard for women and the dignity of women today. But I think that needs to be balanced out with the traditionalist. What needs to be said about what we've learned over years and ages and cultures from time beginning about the masculinity and femininity and, and how that has a certain complementarity. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm thinking is these issues of different parties and Disparities in the Christian community still exist and, and the problem is that the Pharisees saw themselves as so much in the right and everyone else in the wrong, so that gives you some kind of profile the Pharisee the other man you remember of the parable who came to the temple to pray was a tax collector tax collectors you may know were among the most despised and despicable people of all of Israel, obviously Jesus is putting up the tremendous contrast. On the one hand, you have the exemplar Pharisees, people who prayed all the time and were very devoted to God. On the other hand, tax collectors who saw themselves outside of the circle of good Jewish people. In fact, the good Jewish people considered tax collectors traitors, traitors because they collaborated with the Roman government. You understand that the Roman government held the whole country of Palestine in control. And there are many ways they suffered under that oppression. One of it was, of course, the pain of taxes. And the fact that these fellow Jews would work for the enemy, is is, is they felt betrayed by that. Furthermore, they considered tax collectors in the company or the same as robbers, because they were given the right to collect taxes, you understand they made their living by charging a greater amount. And they could charge as much as they wanted to get away with. So, in other words, there was never a poor tax collector. They made a nice profit for themselves. And the way they did this oftentimes was through extortion, that is through force and and threats. And so you could begin to see immediately they would become the enemy of the common people not only were they traitors not only were they considered robbers but they were also considered a type of sinners you remember oftentimes in gospel you hear tax collectors prostitutes and sinners it's like it's all the same it's the worst of the bunch and they were considered sinners also for the fact that when they handled the money of the roman government it was these coins that Contained the emperor's image, which they felt was a terrible violation of the second commandment of God, "Thou shalt not have any false gods before me. And the emperor would proclaim his divinity in, in the Roman mind and even on the coin. So they were really mixing the secular with the sacred in a, in a bad way. So the fact that now Jesus uh, holds these two men up in this temple, you'd have to appreciate that typical of Jesus' way of preaching in storytelling is that what you would expect doesn't happen. In fact, the opposite. The Jewish audience would have expected the Pharisee to serve as the great model for prayer and the tax collector as the negative example. And the fact that he reverses that just kind of takes everyone back. In fact, once the Jewish people would have heard the tax collector was in the temple to begin with, would have shocked them. This guy would never have come to the temple. He would not have felt welcome there. So imagine in your mind uh, people who we consider so unchurched. I often think of St. Augustine who said be, always to be careful because God has many people that the church does not have. And he goes on to say, the church has many people that God does not have. Kind of a good bite to that quote. Well, flashback on the Pharisee. The Pharisee, remember, head unbowed. Catch that dramatic gesture. Head unbowed. In other words, his, in a way of speaking, his nose is up in the air. So he's all ready to look down on people. You know what I'm saying? Head unbowed. He, his spirit is not humble. He's feeling proud. He's got his chest out, his sights up, his hands up. And he outwardly has the appearance of someone who's very holy. And and this was the case. Outwardly, the majority opinion of him was he was such a holy person. But the sad thing was he had this exalted opinion of himself. He says, I thank you, God. I am not like the rest of the men. And the truth was. He was speaking the truth. He wasn't like the rest of men. Or like this <clears throat> tax collector, he said, looking over, I fast twice a week. This is, this is really something. The law required a devout Jew to fast once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, just as we have the rule in our church to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. But you know, there are some people who fast every week. I have to admire these people. More than that, he says, I pay tithes on all I possess. I love to have this guy in my parish. There was a law in Deuteronomy that stated you should pay a tithe, that is 10%, on all the produce of the field and the flock that you graze. That's the idea because they were either agricultural people or herdsmen. And so, the fact that he was uh, paying tithe on everything he had says he went way beyond the net profit to his gross income. You know what I'm saying? He went way beyond what the law would ask. But notice how self-centered, notice his prayer was. And notice in prayer, as you would know, the focus needs to be on God. But his focus is not, thank you, Lord. It's, I give you thanks, God. Because I fast twice a week, I pay tithing on all I have. There's so much I there he can't see. God. And in fact, you wonder: Is he really praying? Uh, I often wonder if when Jesus listens to some of our prayers. He might say, "Who are you talking to?" Me? You know. And I, I say that for myself. You know, sometimes, we, especially those prayers of blessed the Lord Jesus Christ, about a Christ sort of men. Lord, must well, be have to say again? Are you talking to me? What does it mean? We do well to call time out. I, I called time out in one of our children's masses just last week because it just seemed, even at the young age, so rude. You just have to say time out. Wait, wait a minute. Who are we talking to? What are we doing here? What does it mean? And we do well to do that in prayer, time to time. Call time out, and we can. Bring it all into focus. And the most important part of prayer is that we focus on God and what God is doing, who God is. This guy is so filled with himself. You know, it's blocking his prayer. It's going to hurt his whole communication. If you ever be with people and you're trying to talk to them, and you know they're really not listening, they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they could say what they want to say. You know that. None of us here, I understand that. But so it is with God. It's like this, how can God communicate with us? How can, he, how can he pray with us? Prayer is that dialogue with the Lord. How can he get through to us? This guy doesn't give him a chance to get through because he's so filled with himself. Whereas the tax collector kept his distance. Now, I often try to remind myself of that when most of my preachers sit in the back of church. <laughs> It doesn't matter where you sit in church, is where you stand with God. I do have to laugh though, you know, we struggle with this when I was here at the cathedral, and it's so different no matter what church you go to in the world, I guess. But I was told my predecessor at St. Peter and Paul, not the, the pastor immediately before me, but a few back, would have morning mass, and naturally everyone feeling like this, I guess, this tax collector sat in the back, so he had the janitor one day put wheels on the portable altar and he moved it all the way to the back. Call the holy water or whatever. The people like, whoa! After doing this two weeks, every morning, he, they finally said, hey, how about giving me a break? Help me out. Just come up front. I love that. In a sense, Maybe that's what the Lord does. He will meet us wherever we're at as long as we're open to him. And that's the case with this guy, at this tax collector temple. I want to just emphasize, the point is not to take the back seat in the temple or cathedral or church, but that we take that lowly place, that posture of prayer that we know is humility. We know that the Saving grace of this tax collector was his humility, which is his honesty. In all honesty, he knew that he was a sinner, and everybody else knew it too. Fortunately, he was able to admit it. You know how everybody can know it but us sometimes. He was able to see it, and he was able to say it. And so we notice the first thing he did is is that he bowed his head. Maybe I imagine him bending his knee. In any case, his body posture was, in contrast to the proud posture of the Pharisee, It was very humbled. You know, beating the breast being a sign of, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that's what is to be the starting place of prayer. That's why you've heard me maybe use this as an example. It came to me one day. You know how runners in a race, in order to get a good start, start on their knees in a three pronged position. That's how we ought to start all our prayer, too, don't you think? On our knees. And whether physically or spiritually, the important thing is that we humble ourselves. All that means is we start with an acknowledgement of who we are and who God is. And what is that? Well, it's what the tax collector admits to. He says, Oh, God, be merciful me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that's why, it, it, as odd as it seems, that when we start mass for us Catholics, you know, it said the very first uh, part of the entrance or opening rite is, let us recall we are sinners. And sometimes I think, oh, geez, what a downer. You know, I mean, why start there? Uh, but in fact, it's saying, let's remind ourselves who we are as we come before God. There is something beautiful about that because as soon as we do that, then the Lord lifts us up, which we'll see momentarily. So this man literally throws himself onto the mercy of God when he says, Be merciful to me. That his focus, you notice, is on God and God's mercy. And that's a beautiful thing. When we we're not suggesting that we put ourselves down. We have enough people to do that. <laughs> We don't need to put ourselves down. What we need to do is just be honest to where we are, and I acknowledge we're creatures, we're but little children of God, and then we're able to be lifted up onto His lap. The best example I can think of is Saint Teresa, the Little Flower. You remember, always inspired to be a great saint and wanted, aspired to this level of perfection and sanctity, but she felt she could never, ever reach because she kept falling and failing. And she imagined herself to be this little child climbing a steep stair of sanctity, but keep one step forward, you know, two steps back. She, every time she thought she was making some progress, she felt she was set back. You know that feeling. And finally, she prayed to God that she could have some kind of shortcut or extra lift. At times, in century ago, they just discovered the elevator. And she said, "Lord, I, what I, that's what I need. I need a lift to you." And then she opened the gospel and read, "You must become like little children." And then she realized, "Jesus, you are my arms. You are my lift. I must become smaller, and then you will become greater." Isn't that it? That's, that's what we see in this tax collector. And that's where Teresa then said, this is my way to greatness, which is my little. Me. That became her little way, quote unquote, which I think is the only way. It's the only way to pray. It's the only way to be. Uh, and that is to be small, humble, little, which is truly who we are and let God then lift us up because God's so attracted to that kind of person who comes so openly, humbly before him. And so that's how Jesus ends this beautiful teaching by saying, believe me, this man, pointing to the text collector went home from the temple justified because he asked God for mercy. But the other man did not. Why? Because he he never asked for forgiveness. He, He wouldn't allow himself, because he didn't know he needed help. He wouldn't let himself be helped. The saddest thing is the Pharisee was trying so hard, and did so much, and everything he did was really in the right, except his heart was not in the right. His mind was not quite right. His attitude was not right. He failed to recognize the most fundamental principle of the spiritual life, and that is, all holiness comes from God. We can never make ourselves holy, and we could never save our own soul. Impossible. No more than a child, an infant could support him or herself. No more than any of us could swim the Pacific Ocean. And no matter how hard we try. Why try? <laughs> so that's the point. The first principle of the spiritual life is all Holiness comes from God. Of course, the second principle would be, therefore we must come to God, dispose ourselves, and cooperate with God. Because God won't force that holiness upon us. We have to collaborate, uh, cooperate with the Lord.
1: Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.